Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Sarah Peterson. Sarah is a mom of three and the author of the new book, Momfluenced, Inside the Maddening World of Mommy Influencer Culture. Sarah has written about motherhood and feminism for the New York Times, Harper Bazaar, the Washington Post, and elsewhere. She also writes a newsletter, In Pursuit of Clean Countertops, where she explores the cult of ideal motherhood. Sarah resides in New Hampshire, and I'm excited to bring her on the show today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That is probably like the catchiest book title, by the way. It's so (laughs) intriguing. But before we get started, I wanted to ask, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Ooh, wow. This is a good question. Oh my gosh. It's Thursday. Okay. You know how you can like not even remember the day before? (laughs) Like I have to like really pause and think about it. Okay. Biggest mom. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go with today. So today I'm trying to break my habit of immediately getting on the computer or the phone when I wake up. The combination of like access to the internet and caffeine just kind of fries my brain and like just starts the day off on like a tense, like overstimulated note for me. And I I yelled at my kids yesterday and it was like terrible. So today I resolved to get up and just read while I like had my morning tea And I was just infinitely calmer and more patient. I had time to like help my daughter with her hair. And it was just a much better experience overall. So I would call that my win of the week. I would say that because I feel like a lot of moms, we jump out of bed and or our kids wake us up and it's such a startling start. And I always talk about a lot about, you know, how you start your day is really how the rest of it will go. And so that's perfect. That's a good win for you. And I know you have school age kids too, some of them. So give me a little bit of context about your family structure. What does that look like? You know, do you have a partner? What's what are the roles that you and your say partner play in your family? Totally. So we both, my husband and I both work from home, which is mostly, I'm, you know, mostly grateful for, obviously, sometimes it would be nice if like either of us were at an office and like, you know, bringing something new to the vibe when we come home, like we're just, but there's no like, oh, like, who did you see? Like, there's not a lot of that, but, but it means that we both share responsibilities, for example, in transporting our youngest to preschool and picking him up from preschool. My husband usually does the morning and I usually do the pickup. So that's really nice. My two big kids are relatively self-sufficient in the morning. And what so are they, their ages? They're 10 and 8. So they come down independently. They turn on the TV independently. They make their breakfast independently. And, you know, there's like, you know, uh, I need a note to go to so-and-so's house after school or can't find my cleats for soccer or whatever. 
So there's that type of chaos that involves uh, my husband and I. But for the most part, it's not like the heavy lifting of getting, you know, a toddler ready for the day or a baby ready for the day. And then, yeah, the toddler, he actually wakes up. Well, he's not a toddler, I guess he's four, but I feel like they're toddlers until they're like in kindergarten. They you really, I, mean? I think they're toddlers until they can wipe their own butt, honestly. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, besides that, like they are not, not necessarily useful, but they, they are not as self-sufficient. So I, right. I find that. Once they're in like grade school and they're doing their own things, then I call right. them real humans. Like they're, <laughs> yes. they're real. They totally. can do their own thing. Totally. But he like, he sleeps bizarrely late. And I'm like, I don't even want to like, it's, I feel like I'm screwing with the cosmos, but like, yeah, he sleeps really late. So we You're have lucky. like my third. Not the same. She's, oh, no. I feel like, though, you have to have, like, the one. And so I don't know how your two older ones were, but my, like, first two were relatively great sleepers. Oh. They were all, like, you know, very... And then the third one came, and it was, like, chaos broke loose. So oh. she's my... She's... Yes, we're working on it. I'm not calling her a terrible sleeper because I don't want to right. label her. I was like, we're just having some sleeping challenges, and so we're mm-hmm. working on it. Yep. That's a but little that, harder, though, having that for the third. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Cuz you're like, I've got this, I've got this and then yeah, you're like, what did I do wrong? Yes, <laughs> yes. But yeah, so he gets up relatively late and then we get him ready and yeah. So. Nice. It's it's, it's not too bad. Well, then I was going to say you're kind of living this like perfect little domestic uh work at home, you know, family, but you talk a lot about let's go to kind of what what your expertise is in is in mommying, which is such an interesting kind of concept. So when I like read your book and saw the name of it and then started reading a lot of your essays on just this interest in this mommy influencer culture, I'm curious, like, where did this all stem from? Where did you all of a sudden dive deep into this? You know, because it's, I used to read blogs. I used to look at all of these things and I hated the term influencer and I didn't like those norms. And I stopped social media for a little because it started to like screw with my mental health, especially after COVID. So I'm wondering, you know, where did this fascination come from and how did that relate to your own motherhood journey? So yeah, I think it started with blogs, like 2014, 2015. I don't remember how I found Love Taza, Naomi Davis's blog, Mm -hmm. but I did. And at the time had a newborn and a toddler and was very much like trying to figure out my maternal identity, trying to figure out like, you know, I was a stay at home mother and didn't know if I wanted to do that. So I was very much in like transition existential crisis mode, I guess. But yeah, I discovered Taza and she very much seemed like she knew what she was doing and that she knew that, you know, she had her motherhood figured out, or at least that's what I perceived from what she was sharing with the world. And I think more than anything, like, yes, she had beautiful photos and yes, it was very aspirational. She had, you know, bright, vibrant colors, you know, lots of smiles, lots of joy. But more than anything, I just wanted to figure out my own motherhood. So I was really looking at anybody that I perceived had, you know, figured it out. And then, yeah, I just kept, you know, finding myself like caught between a push and pull of, I know this is only one slice of their life. And yet I have like this hope inside of me, you know, I want to access something of what they have. I want to ask, you said figured it out. And yeah, I wonder what's your definition of like figured it out, you know, and why, why did you think other people had it quote figured it out? What did that mean? Yeah. 
I mean, I think to me, it just meant lack of doubt and security in one's choices. You know, at the time, I really was struggling with just the day to day reality of mothering full, you know, not full time. I hate that phrase, because we're all mothering full time. But you know, my work was confined to the home. And I was struggling with that. Did you work outside the home before you had kids? I had a very strange career path. I did like a ton of graduate schools. I can have seen amount of graduate school. I'm rolling my eyes. And so I got my second master's, which I didn't end up using right before my first was born. So I got all this education, didn't start a career, and then very much had a baby as a way to like give myself a job, essentially. Like, okay, I'm going to have a baby. That's like perfect. Everybody, like that's very socially acceptable. Nobody's going to judge you for choosing to devote yourself to motherhood. But yeah, I was feeling super lost career-wise. And that was really a huge part of the decision to jump into motherhood. Interesting. It was like you were looking for your identity to be a mom. Like instead of people tend to kind of fall into it and they're, but it was almost like your next step, like your career was going to be this motherhood. So once you got there and you were trying to quote, figure it out, you started reading all of these blogs and looking Mm -hmm. into these things. And where did you go down the rabbit hole? (laughs) Um, I mean, started with Taza and then Amber filler up Clark, you know, I read her blog. She felt so far removed from anything I could ever aspire to be that it was, it really did feel like solely entertainment following her and reading her. And then, yeah. And then, you know, I ended up just, you know, finding writing and pursuing that. And then I think it resurged when I started following Hannah Neeleman from Ballerina Farm and just other sort of quote unquote traditional trad mom influencers who, again, seemed just completely sure about their choices and sure about their roles in their families and in their lives. And yeah, I just found that certainty really tantalizing. Interesting. I I hear that like, I feel like also in this post-COVID era, people are just looking for that like confidence or that like inspiration or that push that if someone else can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. So in a way it's interesting. It's like, it's an influence in a good way. It's like an inspiration, but it's also an influence in a not so great way because we're seeing a lot of influencers come out with unfortunately mental health issues, you know, a lot of different things, divorces, stuff that we don't normally see. And now there's this push towards authenticity in the marketplace. And I'm just wondering over your like course of like research and data, how have you seen a shift in the way that we perceive motherhood these days because of all of these influencers or Instagram, all of the things that we've seen now compared to before? I mean, in terms of quote unquote authenticity, I will say that I think authenticity is almost a meaningless word at this point. (laughs) It really means whatever the consumer of the content wants it to mean. So I could find something quote unquote authentic that, you know, somebody down the road could find completely contrived or somebody down the road from them could find like over the top vulnerable. So it really, it really does feel just so subjective to be almost meaningless. But in terms of like, you know, how this culture has impacted motherhood and mothers, I don't think what the majority of them are selling is anything new. I think this sort of hyper feminine domestic 
you know, goddess of the house has been what we've wanted mothers to be culturally for hundreds of years, you know, since the cult of domesticity in the 19th century. That's really how we viewed the quote ideal mother. Like even the leave though, it to beaver mom too. Right. Totally. Which is crazy. Yes. Like you think about it, we grew up with that. The mom who had pearls on who welcomed you into mm. their house with chocolate chip cookies. I mean, my dad still plays Leave It to Beaver for my kids. And I'm like, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> oh I really I, he's like, Oh, it's really funny. I'm like, Yeah, it's funny, but I don't <laughs> want my son to think this is what a mom should look like because I sure as hell don't look like that. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. So it's really interesting. So like through TV, this is just the newest form of media, I guess. Right, right. But with way more connection. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, all monthly accounts are like that by any means. Yeah. But I do think the ones that tend to be most financially successful do adhere to those ideals. But I don't think most of us who follow them like are harboring any illusions about this being like somebody's full reality. Like, I don't think any of us are like, oh, they never have bad days. They never have, you know, a clogged toilet. They never have toddler meltdowns. Like, we know intellectually they do what they must. But I do think there's something like subliminally powerful about consuming imagery, you know, solely rooted in the positive aspects of motherhood. Yeah, because you also said, um, I forgot what the term was but that you feel this sort of like connection, like you feel like you're their friend. So oh, like yeah, even like social. Yeah. So like people even listen to this podcast and think they know me, they know my kids, they know all this stuff about me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know you though. Like right. I don't actually know you. And it's this weird sort of connection where you feel like they could be my friend. So yes, I'm going to buy this product. I should look like this. Mm-hmm. I should do all of these things. But that's kind of like harming the I guess, our mental health right now. Like, I think motherhood and mental health is so important right now. Yep. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the best way we can manage that? Because it is fun. Like, I want inspiration. I want to redo my kitchen or, you know, I want to redo right. my house and get all of these beautiful inspirations knowing, like, that's aspirational. But also, yep. you get sucked down all of this. So, like, how can we as consumers, like, kind of manage all of this and, like, without just saying, oh yeah, I know that's fake. Like I know that's not real, but like, what can we actually do? And on the flip side, on the influencer side, like, what do you see? Because a lot of people who listen to this are also like either content creators or they do have some sort of influence, whether it's one person or 10 people in the PTA or whatever that is, you know, how can we live our life in a way that is less, you know, toxic in that sense? Mm Hmm. I mean, I think what you were saying about like, you know, it can be fun to be perusing Instagram for like kitchen inspiration, for example, like that can be a totally valid source of entertainment. So I think one thing to do is really get clear with like what you're gaining from your consumption of social media and like the specifics of why you're searching. So if you're very clear that like this is entertainment for me. It's, it exists in the same way like a Bravo TV show does, then that's like one thing. But if it's getting to this place where you're looking at these beautiful kitchens, you're looking at your own kitchen, and you're actively feeling worse about your own life, your own choices, the fact that you can't afford, you know, the whatever beautiful sink that whatever mom are has, like, then it's not fun anymore. And that's like a different thing. So I think like, the most powerful thing we can do as consumers is to have these check-ins with ourselves 
and really assess like, how much time am I spending doing this? What is it bringing to my life? What is it maybe, you know, detracting from in my life? And it's hard. It's hard to do that. But I think that is sort of the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. And then on the flip side, I was asking about like the influencers, you interviewed a lot of them. Is there any advice you can give to them to, you know, make sure that, how do I phrase this? Is like putting motherhood in this view of like, I hate the word, you're right, authenticity. I don't like that. (laughs) But like, how can we also be aware and change the way we project? Oh, gosh. I mean, most of the women I spoke to for the book were acutely aware like of the responsibility they hold in their work. None of them were like, oh, yeah, no, I never think about how this impacts people. Like, you know, because they are people with their own struggles, their own, you know, mental health challenges sometimes. Like many of them were like, oh, yeah, I feel like shit sometimes following other people. Like, regardless of who we are, we get that that can happen. And I don't know. I don't know if I would want to say like it's on the content creators to manage an unknown viewers feelings. True. Like, Cuz that's what I would say that to someone else. It's like I have my own views and if it makes you feel a certain way, I can't change the way you feel. You need to work on that yourself. So or I guess just, yeah. Or just stop following. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, moving on to kind of, so I know you deal mainly with like the mom influencer and the mom, but thinking about just influencers in general and moving, say you have kids that are going into the preteen age where consumption of social media for teenagers, TikTok, things like that are severely influencing also the mental health of teens. How are you as now like putting this into personal terms, not like the data and all of this, but putting it into you as a mom, Sarah, the mom, how are you managing social media or preparing your children? Because you, you almost, you've seen behind the veil, like, you know, how, how the sausage is made, right? How are you preparing your preteens now for this generation? Because these TikTok influencers are most likely going to end up being mom influencers in the future. So, you know, as a mom, how can we prepare our kids? I, you know, I don't know. I can't say for sure what, you know, we'll do. But if it were up to me, I mean, I'm hoping to, you know, give them phones as late as possible, primarily for communication and safety reasons. I don't think we're going to allow any social media. Again, I don't know, but that is the plan now. Just because it's, you know, it is manufactured to be addictive. And I know what it's doing to my adult brain and not a lot of it is good. And I really, the idea of my children's brains, which are not even fully formed, you know, it feels, this is going to sound like, I hope this doesn't sound absurdly judgmental, but it kind of feels like giving a 12 year old a cigarette. Like we know this is an addictive technology. Like they are designed explicitly to keep you on the apps as long as possible. And it's, you know, completely wrapped up with consumerism. And I just, I just don't want my kids to have to deal with the angst of that. I mean, what will end up happening? I don't know. But I just know what it does to me. And I I just don't want that for anyone. 
Yeah. It's so hard because it's everywhere. And you're like, you can't tell right. like my, my son goes on YouTube and I caught him watching YouTube shorts. He's like, Oh no, but I was looking at Minecraft stuff. I was like, yeah, but now you're down this rabbit hole of YouTube shorts. Like, I don't know what you're consuming. This is crazy. Right. No, and there's totally. no, like the parental blocks, all of this stuff is crazy. But so, yeah, I was just curious as a mom who, you know, is approaching that my oldest is only eight. So yep. I'm like, starting to get there, but not there yet. And it's yeah. an interesting world. And to see all of those, you know, there's so many different apps and so many different things that they can consume. But you on the personal side, you know, we talked about your little, your nice morning, but do you have <laughs> any sort of wellness practices or anything you do for yourself daily to help, you know, whether it's inspire you to write and be creative? Do you have any daily practices that you do for yourself? Oh my God. Yes. So, so many. Yes. And I, these are like non-negotiables. I think I used to call myself high maintenance, but I'm shedding that. Like I need certain things to be a functioning person. I think everybody does. And I just think women and mothers are conditioned to ignore their needs. But yeah, I, exercise is huge for me. It's like a huge component of my mental health. So whether it's walking, jogging, do you know the class? Do you know this thing called the class? It's an no. exercise. I'm so obsessed. It's like part yoga, part Pilates, part cardio. Is part it just wellness. like uh, online thing, or is it so like they have studios in okay. LA and New York? And it's just know, called the class. Yes. Okay. And it's this like magical amalgamation. There's like breath work. There's meditation. Ooh. It's just like like sometimes it's therapy for me. So I love that. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm really big into meditation and breath work and all of that. I'm not, I'm not, I used to be a like CrossFit kind of person, even though I'm not really athletic, but now I'm like more about restorative. Yes. No, this is super that, and you know, you can take everything. There's a million like modifications that can be as like, you know, athletic or as not as you want, but that outside time is critical. And being with my friends is also like, I I will start to feel actively depressed if I don't see my friends, like at least, you know, at least a friend once a week. It's just, I I think we don't tend to prioritize friendship in our culture. And I think that's to everybody's detriment. So yeah, friendship is huge. Did you always, since you became a mom, did you always prioritize these things? Or at what point did you realize you needed to prioritize these things? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great question because I do think I got much more deliberate about it post kids. Like the need for it felt higher because like a it's the need for solitude and the need for, you know, just sensory like just removing myself from sensory overload and the need for like frustration relief. Like all of that rose post kids. I think I did like all of these things were important to me pre-kids but they became like non-negotiable after kids I think Hmm. any other practices that you do like how do you inspire your own creativity and your own writing I'm I'm more curious because one day I do want to write a book and for me I'm like how do you get into that creative mode I it's really just like following an obsession for me it's yeah yeah I mean I, I, it might be different if I was like a novelist or was writing fiction. I don't know who knows, but that could also be very much driven by an obsession. But yeah, it's always been just tracing an obsession, asking more questions about the obsession. 
but there's no, like, I have no formula for like, you know, I let a candle or any of that. I mean, I do need complete utter silence. So there's that. I was going to ask then doing all of the research and curiosity on your book, what were like the top two most surprising things I think you discovered coming out of it? Whereas you went in with something totally thought differently and it really surprised you. I don't know if I went in thinking anything to contradict these discoveries, but they still stuck, stood out to me as being really illuminating. I talked to Miley Teal. She's, her primary business is a hair care subscription service, but she also does like, you know, some part-time mom flouncing just because she's of her platform. And she was telling me how when she was getting funding for her hair care business, she was telling, you know, the people she was trying to get money from about this like holy grail product that black women had been using for years. It was like an herbal essence, something herbal essence. And they were all just looking at her like they had no clue. They'd never heard of it. They didn't know that it was this, you know, holy grail product for black women. And she was telling me the story as a way to say like, you know, not only is whiteness really prioritized in the momfluencer space, but also the people behind the scenes the people working for the brands, you know, the brands that are doing sponsored content deals, if they are also, you know, not black or not people of color or, you know, clueless about what it is you are selling your audience, that also negatively impacts, you know, for example, her ability to sell, to get funding for the hair care business. And it should be obvious that like, you know, race discrimination and, you know, comes into that aspect of mompluncing as well. But I don't think, I just don't think I had necessarily thought about like the fact that all people in this cycle, you know, at every level, race is a factor and, you know, other layers of marginalization and other layers of privilege are a factor too. So that was one that really stuck out to me. And then another one that stuck out to me, Mia O'Malley, I spoke to her for the book. She is a fat mom influencer, self-described. And she was telling me about, you know, just the massive lack of representation. When you Google pregnancy, it's just thin body after thin body after thin body. And they're the big. little bump. Yeah. And they're yeah. giant bump. Right, exactly. <laughs> and she was just telling me how you know, there is a renewed focus on maternal mental health, which is great. Like we need that focus. But she was basically saying like, you know, if you are in a body that is never represented in pregnancy or motherhood, that has an incredibly adverse effect on your mental health. Like you're entering the stage of life and you are not seeing yourself. So yeah, that was really just eye-opening too. It was something, I, I don't think I'd considered the really huge effect of representation like representation alone is not enough of course but it's also really powerful in ways that in that example I hadn't thought about right and reflecting on that just representation for me like I realized there are not a lot of Asian creators that I can find and most of them like are my friends and they're more comedy so Mm. a lot of the Asian mom influencers are either really good at packing lunches (laughs) like that's their (laughs) That's the thing. They're like really organized or they're comedy. And it's so fascinating because I also don't find a lot of Asian podcasters that Mm. are just talking about being Asian, like that are just, oh, I'm a podcaster. I happen to be Asian or even Asian influencers out there that aren't doing something 
not stereotypical, but it it's just interesting. I don't see myself in that motherhood field either. Yeah. And I realized all of the people, because I started looking like, okay, who do I follow? Like what what is it that I am consuming? Cause I'm consciously aware of, you know, what what I'm putting into my head. And I noticed I was like, wow, a lot of these people are not like me, you know, mm, maybe they mm-hmm. have like things I, I like and like want in those kitchens. I was like, oh, wait, but I live in Los Angeles. Cost of living is so much higher. Like, oh, wait, you yep. live in Salt Lake City. You have like this giant house. But oh, right. wait, like I have to like put myself in that perspective, but also just on the diversity aspect, like I don't see a lot of Asian females represented. Yeah. And so I like, but I never really thought about that until you were kind of saying that because I just mm-hmm. brushed it off as, oh, well, I guess you know, they're not there. (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, if I saw more, then I might relate more to, you know, especially the side effects after pregnancy, like things that happen to your hair or or stuff that maybe happens to Asian people that don't happen to others. There's like specific stuff that I have nowhere to look at. So that's really interesting. So I mean, like, it's powerful in the sense that we can make really make a difference if you are diverse, but also it's hard to kind of like get yourself out there too. Yeah. But through the process for you, what do you think you internally like developed? What do you think you changed the most out of it? Or like not just lessons you learned, but like for you personally, did anything really impact you and change your life? I think the biggest thing was really getting clear on where so many of these domestic ideals stem from. And, you know, if we go back to the 19th century cult of domesticity, this ideal of the woman ensconced within the home as the moral center, it was completely invented. There's nothing natural, quote unquote, about it. It was invented by white men to maintain and uphold their own power. It excluded almost all mothers, you know, only white upper class mothers were privy to this, you know, cult of true womanhood, air quotes, you know, black mothers enslaved mothers, working class mothers, indigenous mothers, certainly were systematically viewed as less than and as not, quote unquote, true mothers. And so when we're looking at, you know, the white mother, you know, in the floral field with the gingham, uh, what is it, apron, like that archetypal image stems to a really ugly, stems from a really ugly place. And I just think many of us are conditioned to view that pretty white mom in her pretty white house as like the epitome of a good mom or the epitome of classic motherhood. And that's just not the case. And so I think getting clear on the roots of that freed me in many ways from feeling bad that I don't, you know, live up to that because it's not something I want to live up to anymore. Yeah. So I think that was a big, a big light bulb for me. Ah, and you said you like to dive you, your projects and the things that you're interested in, your creativity stems from, you know, your curiosity. What's kind of your new obsession? I'm obsessed with ads. I'm obsessed with ads. I, specifically the way that things are marketed towards mothers is just endlessly maddening and interesting to me. I dive into a little bit more on that. I want to hear like what your thoughts are. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, nine times out of 10, if something is marketed to a mother, it is reliant on certain assumptions or misunderstandings about what a mother quote unquote should be. There there was this one reel of Instagram ads that was like, get your mom a subscription clothing box for Mother's Day or whatever. 
And one was like casual chic mom. One was like, one was, what was the other one? Something like city savvy mom. And it was just these little, it was essentially costumes for like, pick the type of mommy you want to be. And then you can only be that type of mommy. And it's just, we market stuff to mothers in ways that we do not market to fathers. And I just think the underlying messaging is often like pick one box you want to fit into and squeeze yourself into that box. That's interesting because you're totally right. Like you're either you're like the non-toxic like homeschooling mom or you're the you're the hot mom. You're the hot mess mom. You're the you're like the type of instead of just being mom, you're like the something. And And I even person. Yeah. And I look at it on a day to day basis, too. Some days I'm like put together chic mom. And then other (laughs) days I'm like in yoga pants and haven't brushed my hair mom. And it's like it it just depends on how I feel that day. But you're right. I've seen those subscription boxes where I was like, oh, that's cute. But that's cute, too. Oh, but I'm not a boho mom. Like I can't (laughs) I'm not boho chic. That's not me. But it is cute. But no, I can't do that because it's not me. (laughs) No, it's, (laughs) it's interesting how the you're right. So what are you seeing with these ads and stuff? Like, what are you diving deep into? Just the, I wrote a piece for my newsletter about Mother's Day, which I sort of famously hate. But um, (laughs) the way specifically that Mother's Day was marketed this year and every year, like, just, it's all absurd. It's all ridiculous. Like, mom doesn't need the gift of a cooler to show her that you care. She needs universal paid leave and affordable childcare. <laughs> like the, the patronizing way that we sell mothers like tennis bracelets when like we need systemic support, we're burned out and like we can solve these problems. And yeah, I just find the marketing to mothers to be like a huge smoke screen distra- distracting us from like, the real issues making most of us so exhausted. Which is even the case for mothers marketing to mothers because for a while, and I'm glad I stopped seeing a lot of this, but the self-care aspect, I I mean, I use the word self-care because that's the one people know, but I don't necessarily believe in self-care in that term because I don't believe self-care is massages and nail things. Like right. self-care is like, you know, way more than that and deeper. And you're right. Like if we don't have paid leave, if we don't have that, we can't even care for our like, literally physical selves. Like I don't need a massage. I need like something, something more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's really interesting to see all that. Kuja Lakshmin has a book called Real Self Care. And it's, it's like, I just recommend it to everybody. It really, it's, it drives exactly into what you were talking about. Like the difference between the bubble bath and like, you know, bleeding at home postpartum and having the space and care necessary to do that. Like, yeah. And she also talks about like meaning making as self-care. And yeah, it's just a beautiful, wonderful, really impactful book. Oh, I'll have to look that up. Oh, on the note of kind of universal paid leave and all of these action items that, you know, we think mothers really need. Is there anything that you are doing towards, you know, kind of working that or how... What what is the next step that we as a population can take towards achieving some of these? I have a lot of friends that are really passionate about this, whether their venture capital firm is only focused on helping, you know, moms in that way or childcare. Um, yep. Do you have any of your thoughts on, you know, what would be great to accomplish next and how can we as a population help that happen? 
Yeah. I mean, if financially feasible, donating to places like Everytown, Mothers Demand Action, Chamber of Mothers is another great maternal advocacy organization. That's always great. Also writing emails and calling elected officials. Like it takes two seconds. And if enough of us do it, it can, you know, actually move the needle. So like emailing my state legislators about the need for universal background checks for, you know, guns. And those are relatively easy things to do. Just there's scripts you can find online. You just fill in your name and where you're from, send the email or, you know, make the call. And then, yeah, as a writer, I write about this stuff a lot. So I'm always trying to draw attention that way as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And to everyone out there, read her book, Momfluenced. But to wrap things up, I wanted to ask, what do you think is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better at either business or life? Oh, I don't know if this makes me better at business. I probably doesn't, but... I will say I was the first in my friend group to have kids and I had postpartum depression and also just like a massive crisis of identity after the birth of my first kid. And I became evangelical about every time one of my friends would have a kid or, you know, was pregnant. I would be like calling all the other friends to like, let's get a gift card for a postpartum doula. Like this is what she actually needs and calling to check in and, I remember one of my friends, she was like three weeks postpartum. I talked to her on the phone. She didn't sound, she just sounded off. And I was like, just come over, just come over. And I held her baby while she called her doctor and got an appointment and ultimately, you know, got a prescription to the law. So I think I, I do. Yeah. That is something I not take pride in, but feel passionately about is like opening the door for other moms and women to, like have their ugly feelings, their scary thoughts. And yeah. And to say it is okay. We all have them. I love that. It is okay. Yes. Period. It is okay. Yes. (laughs) Well, where can we find you online? So my newsletter is probably the best spot and that's in pursuit of clean countertops. Which is an amazing name, by the way, (laughs) that's a pipe dream. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at S Louise Peterson. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking time today to chat. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. Thank you.